in your Bibles this morning, everybody. Turn to John chapter number 3. I am aware of the time, and so we're going to be mindful of that. We do also have a baptism at the end of the service. So John 3, look with me at verse 14, and we're going to read from verse 14 down through verse 18. John 3, 14 through 18, once you've found that, if you're able to do so, would you stand please for the reading of God's Word? John 3, verse 14 through 18. Let's begin together in verse 14, and then we'll read um, responsibly. I'll read alone in 15, and we'll read in that pattern down through the 18th verse. Here we go, verse 14, ready? And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The title of the sermon this morning is simply this, the healer of the nations. Boy, we need healing in our world, do we not? It's great to see the diversity of the world celebrated in this room today, but unfortunately, around our world, uh, there is not peace, but oftentimes there is war or the threat of war. And this morning, we're going to talk about who and how we get uh, to nations that are healed. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the wonderful time we've had here. I believe you've been honored and lifted up, Lord, as the Word of God was read in uh, the 17 languages. Lord, all around the world today, the Bible has been read in every language uh, the Bible has been translated into. And you've been honored and praised and worshipped in each one. Thank you, Lord. We do pray that you bless the few minutes we have left today. May our hearts be open to the Bible. Settle our spirits. Lord, help us to get something good from the Scriptures in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, two things before I get into the message. First, Andrew over here. Raise your hand, Andrew. Big Andrew, raise your hand. He didn't stand, but his parents are from Ghana. And so he wanted me to let you know that, and so I told him I would. So I'm just keeping my word. Okay, very good. And the second thing is that if you helped us with the Scripture reading, we're going to make, um, uh, we want to record you after the service in the room 101 around the hall here. If uh, you go to where the restrooms are, uh, the ladies' room's on the right, the men's room would be down uh, the hall to the left. You're going to turn like you're going to the men's room. It'll be the first room on the left. And so if you would immediately, following the service, go there. If all of you could do that, we want to record you saying your verse there. And uh, we want to turn this into a video for our church to enjoy after the service today. So please do keep that in mind and help us with that. All right. Last week I told you a joke. Uh, This week I'm going to open with another joke. And so this one's a classic. Maybe you've heard it before, okay? What do you call a person who speaks three languages? You call them trilingual, all right? Trilingual. That's not the punchline. That's just what you call them, all right? What do you call someone who speaks two languages? Bilingual, all right? What do you call someone who speaks one language? You call them American. 
How many of you here only speak one language? Hold up your hand for me. You only speak one language? All right. And just because you know banyo in another language or bathroom in another language doesn't mean you speak another language. All right. Uh, so, um, uh, uh, American. So, the purpose of the joke is to highlight just how short-sighted we can be with how uh, large in scope the rest of the world truly is. Take your Bibles to Revelation 7. Uh, put a marker in John 3. We're going to come back to John 3 at the end of the message. Uh, so that's our starting point. It's going to be our ending point. But put a marker there, and we'll come back there later. Turn over to Revelation 7. Sometimes we can think that all there is is what we have here in the USA. A few minutes ago, um, I listened with the rest of you as those verses were read in different language, and it gave me a fresh perspective that the world is much, much, much larger uh, than what I know here uh, in, in this country. When we get to heaven, things will be quite different. There are a lot of unknowns about heaven. You ever stopped and thought, how old will I be in heaven? Um, we're going to live there for eternity. But um, how old will I be in heaven? Will older people be given a younger body? Uh, or will there be a diversity of age? Will small children stay small children in heaven? Will we all grow to a certain age and stay there? Uh, one can only speculate because the Bible doesn't say. What language will we speak in heaven? What language will we speak in heaven? Probably your knee-jerk response is your own native tongue, right? We all think we're going to speak our own native tongue in heaven, but the Bible doesn't tell us what language we'll speak in heaven. If I had to take a theological guess, my theological guess is that we'll speak the same language Adam and Eve spoke uh, in the Garden of Eden. I don't know what language that was, but whatever they spoke in the Garden is probably what we'll speak in heaven, uh, but uh, only God knows that. Only heaven will show us that. Um, will we look all like the Jews when we get to heaven or will we maintain our own nationality? Now, this one Scripture answers. Look at Revelation 7 and look at verse number 9. Number 9. The Bible says, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number. Look here. Of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. That's going to be amazing. That's going to be great. Uh, listen, you're going to stand shoulder to shoulder with saints from every nation and every creed and every tribe, uh, and we're going to praise our God together. Our sinful human nature, uh, it is our, our sinful human nature that tries to divide us. When the language of the world were scrambled uh, there at the Tower of Babel in the book of Genesis, Genesis 8 or 9, I believe it is, each language got themselves together and uh, they, if you will, segregated into their own group and they moved elsewhere to establish their own countries and cultures. People have been divided ever since the Tower of Babel. Wednesday evening in my sermon, I shared, uh, the Bible study, I shared that in the 3,100 years of modern recorded history, only 286 of those years have been warless. 3,100 years of modern recorded history, only 286 years where there was not a single war of any sort going on around the globe. Why? 
Our sinful nature seeks to claim superiority over others, and we do this on the basis of how folks are different from us. Different from us. One lesson I have learned is that difference does not, different does not always mean more or less. How many of you learned that? Different does not mean more or less. Somebody can be different than you and equal to you. The great lie that we're told in the gender battle uh, of the 1970s and 80s, it continues on today, although those muddies have, uh, waters have been muddied uh, with all that's gone on in the last decade or so, uh, and, and now it's hard to even define a woman in the culture at large. But the argument in the uh, uh, culture for many decades was that women should be viewed on the same level as men. And I agree with that to a point because the Bible says that men and women are equal. But watch this now. God gave men and women different roles. And those roles are different, but those roles are equal. They're different, but they're equal. And instead of trying to be like each other, we need to embrace our roles. And we need to embrace our differences and just rest assured that God made all of us to be equal. Now, God has given us different languages, but one is not necessarily more important or better than another. God has given us different skin colors, but they are all of equal value in God's sight. God does not value one skin tone over another. Again, it is sinful nature that seeks to claim superiority over another and humanity will find any little difference and exploit that. Now, quickly here, let me just make a couple of points before we get into the message, a couple of introductory thoughts. The first one is this. Segregation is a natural occurrence. Segregation is a natural occurrence. Stay with me here now. Uh, Again, let me take you back to the Tower of Babel. God divided up the languages and you know what everybody did on their own? They segregated. Those who spoke one language all got together and they moved to a region. And yet those who spoke another language and they got together and they moved to another region. Those of another language got together and they moved yet to another region. No one segregated them. They all segregated themselves. That happened on, that happened naturally. In fact, uh, if you were to take a hundred people who all spoke English as a second language, and let's say you took ten people uh, from uh, ten different countries, and they spoke ten different languages, and all of them spoke English as a second language, and you left them in a room to intermingle all by themselves, and you gave them no rules. Uh, listen, of those hundred people, they would all make friends with one another. There would be people from different countries that would be friends. But at the end of the day, you're going to be gravitate toward those who you have the most in common. This is just human nature. And so a segregation that is organic and natural is in no way uh, wrong. In fact, it's a natural occurrence. But watch this now. Salvation, here's the second introductory thought. Salvation is the unifying force for all nations. Salvation, Jesus Christ, is the unifying force for all nations. And why is it at this church we can have people from so many countries and uh, speak so many languages and enjoy so many different types of backgrounds, but yet we come here together and we all love one another and we all enjoy each other's company because we all have Jesus Christ in common. God promised Abraham back in Genesis 12 that through him all nations of the world would be blessed. No religion 
No religion has profoundly touched each... Let me say it back up. No religion has profoundly touched every culture, color, or wealth class on the level of Christianity. You cannot find a religion that pierces through every divide of mankind better than Christianity has. And uh, most religions are uh, primarily in a certain sect or area or or a, a part of the world, but Christianity can be found in every corner of our globe. Jesus told Nicodemus... In John 3, 14 and 15, he said, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Listen to 15, he said that whosoever, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have ever, or rather, but have eternal life. Notice that word whosoever. That means anyone from any country, of any color, of any wealth class, everyone is welcome to believe in Jesus and not perish and have eternal life. In fact, Jesus said in John 12, 32, He said, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto Me. All men unto Me. Here's the truth. God does not value your soul any more or less than any other human being walking planet earth. Jesus died for the whosoever's and the alls of every country and every tribe and every tongue and one day in heaven together we'll stand there there will be not an ounce of prejudice in heaven we'll stand shoulder to shoulder and we'll look at the savior who died for us and we'll sing to him and we'll praise him and we'll shout to him all the glory and honor due into his name it's going to be a great day and all of that won't seem to matter anymore because the healer of the nation will lead us all. Now, while we may have different foods, how many tried food today from a country that was not yours? Would you raise your hand? You tried some food today from a country that wasn't yours? How many enjoyed food today from a country that well, everybody's saying stayed up? That's great. Praise the Lord. Uh, so, uh, listen, I had some food from Africa. I had some food from South America. I didn't eat much because I had to preach and I don't want to be up here burping while I'm preaching. Amen? And so I just, I just sampled a couple little things, and uh, I won't say who, but a certain uh, sister in our church forced me to eat uh, her food. Amen? And I'm not saying any names, but uh, it was good. I'm glad I did. Uh, but uh, listen, we all have foods from different countries, and we have uh, customs and cultures that we enjoy. But listen, we celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Savior of sinners all over the world. Without Him, we are worthless sinners bound for hell. But while, uh, but with Him, we are eternally redeemed and, and on our way to heaven. Jesus pointed back to a story of which Nicodemus was familiar. Take your Bibles to Numbers chapter 21. That's where we're going to spend most of the time until we make our way back to John 3. At Numbers 21, Jesus points Nicodemus to an Old Testament story by which he was familiar, with which he was familiar, and we will see how that Jesus can be lifted up. And when He is lifted up, He draws all men of every nation to Him. So if you have a bulletin this morning, on the back of that bulletin, there's a fill-in-the-blank outline. If you have a pen, let me encourage you to scribble in the notes there as we go. Let's look closely at five thoughts this morning out of John 3 in Numbers 21. All right, number one, there's a bulletin right there next to you. Could you pass that down? To the young lady, just a few seats over. She's looking for bulletin. There you go. Very good. Number one, notice the attitude of humanity. The attitude of humanity. Here we find the Israelites in Numbers 21 in the wilderness. God had gone out of His way and He had taken good care of them. He had put a, 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 a pillar of fire in a cloud by night to keep them warm. 
Because they're in the wilderness, they're in the desert, right? And we know in the desert it gets really hot during the day and it gets really cold at night. So what happened at nighttime is the cloud turned into a pillar of fire and kept them warm, right? I don't know if Moses had a thermostat in his tent. He could go turn it up and down a couple degrees. I don't know about all that. But they had the ability to keep it warm at night. And during the day, he had cloud coverage over them in the desert to make sure they stayed cool, to keep the suns off of their backs. The clothes they wore uh, uh, grew uh, with them, their children, and did not wear out. He dropped food out of heaven straight down for them to be able to pick up and make a a variety of things and eat. Uh, The Lord provided water from a rock on two different occasions for them to have water. He sent quail down for them to eat. And the Lord uh, uh, provided a whole bunch of things for them, but all the same, they complained. They complained. Why were they such complainers? Can I just say, because it is human nature to complain. It's human nature to complain. Have you ever stopped in a moment of complaining and thought to yourself, what am I complaining for? I live in the richest nation or one of the richest nations on planet Earth, right? I mean, look, even the poor in our country have it better than the poor in the rest of, most of the rest of the world. How many of you are from another part of the world and know that to be true? You've seen it firsthand. The poor here are far richer than the poor in the rest of the world. Hold your hand up if you know that to be true. Okay? I've seen it with my own eyes. I've traveled around. All right? If you haven't, take our word for it. Okay? What are we complaining about? Ah, the AC in my car broke. Roll your window down. All right? Come on now. Oh, my refrigerator isn't working. Oh, you know, people on the other side of the world don't even have a refrigerator. Right? What are we complaining about? My child's making me late. Okay, be thankful you have a child, right? I mean, uh, listen, uh, uh, we complain and complain. You know why? Because our nature to do so. Here's a reality I want everyone to hear this morning. It's not the main point of my sermon, but I think all of us need to be reminded of this. No matter how good you have it, if if you have a complaining spirit, you'll find something to complain about. And no matter how bad you have it, if you have a grateful heart, you'll find something to be thankful for. It's not about what you do and don't have. It's about your heart attitude. Letter A, notice, they are discouraged. Why is it that we are such complainers? Because it is human nature to do so, they are discouraged. Look at Numbers 21, look at verse 4. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea and to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people, look here, was much discouraged because of the way. In a minute we'll see uh, that this discouragement brought them to a place of sin. But where does discouragement come from? The story is told of a group of horses that were being used to move a heavy load of logs. And there were more logs than the horses could possibly move. And after a struggle, the horses became discouraged and they just gave up. The man took several logs off the load. But the horses would not even try. Again, he took a few more off, but again, no go. So after several attempts to remove a few more logs, a few more at a time, and the horse is not doing anything, he finally removed all of the logs, the last log off. And as soon as the last log was removed, the horses took off. Now watch this. Whether a man or a beast, once the heart becomes discouraged and weary, he cannot move half the load that a person with heart can move. You're discouraged. And all of a sudden you can't do half of what you could do 
if you had courage, if you had spirit, if your spirit was in you. The Israelites had become discouraged. Where did this discouragement come from? Look at Numbers 14 in your Bibles. Numbers 14. Their expectations had been smashed. And with the smashing of their expectations, they lost spirit. They lost hope. They became discouraged. Look at Numbers 14, verse 26. And the Lord spake unto Moses unto Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel which they, uh, uh, which they murmur against me. Say unto them, As truly as I live, saith the Lord, so ye have spoken in my ears, so will I do, it to, so will I do to you. Your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness." And uh, all that were numbered of you, according to your old number, from twenty years old and upward, which have murmured against me, doubtless ye shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, save Caleb the son of uh, Japuna and Joshua the son of Nun. But your little ones, which uh, ye said shall, should be a prey, them will I bring in, and they shall know the land which ye have despised. What happened here? God marched them out of Egypt. He marched them through the Red Sea. He took about three months to take them across the wilderness. He got them to Kadesh Barnea. They sent 12 spies into the land. And the purpose of it was not to see if they could do it, but to see how they would conquer the promised land and take over the enemies that uh, that inhabited their land. And they came back and ten men said, Nope, we can't do it. And Joshua and Caleb said, Yep, we can do it. And the ten won the battle. And the people said, Oh, we are but grasshoppers in their side and we can't yet win and what happened was those ten men they gave up and they led Israel to give up and God said because of your lack of faith you are cursed everyone 20 years old and up you are cursed to wander around this wilderness for 40 years and when the last one of you has died your children who you said would die in battle your children will then go in and they will conquer the promised land oh Oh, how that discouraged them. They left Egypt just to wander in a wilderness until their bodies were buried in the sand. They were discouraged. I ask you this mess this morning, what has you discouraged today? What, ha- what, it- what has you discouraged today? It is not a sin to feel discouraged. But it is very dangerous for you to live in discouragement for long. Their discouragement led to a great sin. Many across humanity, they many across humanity are discouraged. Let her be noticed, they are dissatisfied. They are dissatisfied. Let her be dissatisfied. Look at Numbers 21 with me. Go back to Numbers 21 and look with me at verse number 5. Make your way back over to Numbers 21. The Bible says, "And the people spake against God and against Moses." Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, and neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. What happens when we lift up our wants over God's commands? We sin against God. Notice how this is, uh, that in their frustration, they blamed God instead of blaming themselves. 
They didn't say, oh, we blew it back there at Kadesh Barnea, and because of that, we have to wander in the wilderness. They were not being hard on themselves. They were pointing the finger at God when they were the ones that were in the wrong. They were elevating their wants. They were elevating their desires over God's. Now listen, people say, well, I can't believe God would make them eat manna for 40 years. Please understand, God's intention was for them to eat manna for three months. It was a stopgap meal until they got into the promised land where they could eat the uh, uh, eat, eat all of the food they wanted and have the milk uh, the land that flowed with milk and honey as it was described and the grapes of Eskel that were brought on a pole between two men and all of the wonderful treasures that the Canaan land had they did not get because in their sin they disqualified themselves. And they pointed their finger at God and they said, "This is your fault." They complained about their environment. They should have not been eating manna. They should have been eating the spoils of war. They should have been uh, enjoying the victory of a promised land. Notice that the sub-points here, they are discouraged and they are dissatisfied, are a present verb. They are. You say, well, but the Israelites... These Israelites are dead and gone. Yeah, I made them a present tense verb on purpose because you and I do the same thing. Do we not? We're dissatisfied over every little thing, right? Oh, I need a new phone, right? My phone's 11 months old. But the latest iPhone just came out. I have, I have to have it. Uh, one of the things I catch myself doing as a parent is correcting my kids on this word, I need. Right? I need, do you need it? Okay, Dad, I want. Okay, thank you for getting that right. I want, not I need. But you know what? We do the same thing, don't we? I, I just need this, and I need that, and, and, and I have to have this, and I have to have that, and oh, this luxury and this nicety. Then when we don't get what we want, we become discouraged, and then we become dissatisfied and we complain. The attitude of humanity. Number two, notice the anger of the Lord. God hates complaining. Plain out, He hates it. God hates when we complain. The sin that the Israelites were most guilty of here in the book of Numbers is murmuring. Murmuring. Complaining. Right? I know as a dad, I get sick of hearing my kids complain. You think God maybe gets a little sick of hearing us complain? You know, adults are, do the same thing kids do. They're just a little more sophisticated about it. Right? We seed our problems in prayer request. Well, pray for me. Whatever it is, you fill in the blank. Right? And really, you're just using pray for me as an avenue to sin. Right? Pray for brother such and such and fill in the blank. Here comes the sin. The brother such and such does. And you're just gossiping. Right? And uh, we complain. But we're subtle about how we do it. Sometimes we're not so subtle. Sometimes we're just straight out with it. When we complain, listen, it makes God angry. Look at Numbers 21 and look at verse number 6. The Bible says, And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people. And much people of Israel died. I'd say God was a little upset, wouldn't you? A little bit. Okay. God says, I'm sick of hearing you complain. And He sends snakes in amongst them. And they, bite, they start biting people. I mean, we're not talking about a little snake bite from a garden snake. We're talking about fiery, venomous, rattlesnake-esque type snakes. And they're coming in. That's great. They're coming in and they're biting the people. God says, I don't want to hear it anymore. 
You see, when we lift ourselves up and replace God in our hearts, it angers Him. Sometime back, I listened through the entire audio Bible. I've done this a handful of times. I've mentioned the app Bible.is. You can download in the Google Play or Apple, uh, um, the Apple App Store. Bible.is, you get a dramatized reading of the King James Bible for free. And uh, I, I've used that for years and love it. Love it. It helps provide context. I enjoy it. When I listened through the entire Bible, um, here was the context I came away with, away with. God hates being second place in our lives. He hates it. He hates, I mean, hates being second place in your heart. Why? Well, it hinders your relationship with Him. It hinders your happiness. It is straight opposition to the purpose for which He created you. Are you discouraged? Are you dissatisfied? Are you walking around complaining about what you don't have or the circumstances uh, that you have to put up with? Stop lifting up yourself. Stop living in pride. Stop elevating your wants and your cause and learn to lift up Christ in your heart. Whose flag is flying on the flagpole of your heart? Don't bring God's anger down on your life. We see the attitude of humanity. Number two, the anger of the Lord. Quickly, number three, notice the apology of the people. The apology of the people. Look at Numbers 21 and look at verse 7. The Bible says, Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. Many people live with the anger of the Lord resting upon them, but they're too stubborn to break away from their pride and self-centeredness. I give these folks a lot of credit. They've been bitten by a serpent. Uh, they're dying or on the, on the brink of death. And they come rushing into Moses and they say, Moses, now we see we're in the wrong. And uh, Lord, listen, we're wrong. And we apologize. And please call out to God that will help us. James 4, 6 says, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. If I've stepped on your toes today about complaining and murmuring, I've stepped on your toes today about you being number one in front of God and God not being number one in your life, the best thing you can do is to humble yourself in the presence of God and apologize for the sin of self-centeredness. The apology of the people. Quickly, number four, notice our avenue of redemption. Our avenue of redemption. Notice letter A, the symbolism of the snake. The symbolism of the snake. Why did God send snakes to bite His people? He could have used any form of punishment that He wanted, but He chose the snake. Okay, quickly, little history lesson on the serpent. You may remember back in Genesis 3 that Satan chose this beast to indwell in the Garden of Eden. God told Lucifer when he was indwelling the snake, listen closely, Genesis 3, 14 and 15, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field, and above a field, and upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. The snake represented the sinful nature that indwells each and every one of us. 
So when that snake slithered in and bit the Israelites there in the camp and struck them with poison, uh, that snake was an animal that symbolized their own choice of sin. God looked at His broken people and said, it is sin that you are choosing, and so it is sin that will kill you. And for you and I today, we need to be remembered, Ezekiel 18.20 says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. It shall die. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Listen, you say, I'm a good person. My friend, I hate to break it to you, but you're a sinner like I am. We all want to focus on how good we are. And listen, any good that you do is because you are made in the image and likeness of God. And that good flows from God through you as part of His creation. But you are fallen into sin. And uh, all of us are born into a sin nature. In fact, Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore is by one man, speaking of Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So death passed upon all men. Listen to this, for that all... All have sinned. We want to focus on our good. The reality is all of us have sinned. All of us have done wrong. All of us have cheated and lied and stolen and looked with lust and taken things uh, that were out of time and out of place. All of us have at one point or another in some way taken God's name in vain. All of us have been frivolous with the name of God. All of us have said things that were proud. All of us have lied. All of us have hated in our hearts with the truth of the moment. The truth of the reality is all of us are sinners And all of us are smitten by the snake of sin and headed to a devil's hell. The symbolism of the snake. We've all been bitten by the snake. Uh, uh, Adam and Eve were metaphorically bitten by the snake in the garden. And we, the descendants of Adam and Eve, of every nation, tribe, and tongue, we all sin. And that sin brings about death. Let her be, notice, the salvation of the cross. The salvation of the cross. God commanded Moses to take a pole and place a brass serpent around it and then to walk past the people so that they could look up at that pole with that serpent on it and be given life. Look at Numbers 21. Look at verse number 8. Numbers 21. Look closely at verse number 8. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looketh, look here, when he looketh upon it, where are those next two words? Read them with me. Shall live. Again, shall live. So when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when, it be, be, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Wow. They were told that if you want to be healed from the poison of the serpent, then look at that symbol of your sin and be redeemed. Isn't that amazing? Go back to John 3 for me. John 3, verse 14. John 3. We're done in Numbers 21. John 3, 14. Jesus then meets with Nicodemus, who knew this story quite well, being a rabbi. Jesus tells Nicodemus, He reminds him of this story. And he says, this story of the serpent on the pole, healing those that have been bitten by the snake, was nothing more than a picture for Jesus, for his own death on the cross. Look at verse 14. Jesus says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever 
believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Read 16 with me. Here we go. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Look at 17. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Everybody listen up. God took his Son and sent him to earth. And Jesus, after 33 years of life, was nailed to a pole or a cross. And while he hung on that cross, God took the sin of mankind. God took the sin of the people that were born in your nation. God took the sin of the people that speak your language. God took the sin of the people that were born in your city. God took the sin of the people that were born in your family. God took your sin and laid it on Jesus. And Jesus became that snake. He became your sin up there on that cross. He died for you. He took your place. And Jesus says, just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, the Son of Man will be lifted up and now has been lifted up. And just as they had to look up at that pole with that serpent on it, as Moses walked through the camp in order to be healed from the venom of the snake, you must look at the cross where Jesus became your sin. You must look at your sin up there on the cross, dying vicariously in your place in order for you to live and have eternal life. And if you'll do that, you'll go to heaven. In fact, it is a requirement of faith that you believe that Jesus died in your place and rose from the dead. Number five, notice the anguish of the stubborn. The anguish of the stubborn. Oh, this point is so critical. I sure hope you'll listen to me this morning. The Bible doesn't tell us if there were any, back in Numbers 21, that refused to look Upon the brazen serpent. But if I had to guess, I'd say there were plenty of people who were too stubborn to look up at the, at the serpent and on the pole. How do I know that this must have happened? Because I look at human beings and how they respond to the salvation of the cross. If you're able to do so quickly, turn over to Matthew 7. If you can't get there quickly, then turn over to Revelation 20. We're going to go to both passages. And I'm going to wrap up the message. Matthew 7. Matthew 7. And look at verse 13. The Bible says, Enter ye in at the straight gate. Look here. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. Notice that it doesn't say, Hard, or rather it doesn't say easy is the way, it says wide and broad. Look here, many there be which go in thereat. 14, because straight is the gate, narrow is the way. It does not say hard is the way, it says narrow is the way 
which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. This is peculiar. God sacrificed the life of His own Son to provide an avenue for humanity to be redeemed. And He says it's really simple. By faith, you look at the cross and you are forgiven of the condemnation of hell and you are given the gift of eternal life. And the Bible says, broad is the way that goes to hell and narrow is the way that goes to heaven. Do you know why the path is broad for hell? Because most people refuse to look at the cross and believe. Hey, you've been bitten by sin. Hey, you're going to die and go to hell. Hey, Jesus died in your place. Believe on Him and go to heaven. And here's humanity. Nope. I won't look. I won't believe. Christianity's is narrow-minded. Jesus died for you. God sacrificed His Son in your place. How do I know that many people in Israel refuse to look at that brazen pole? Because their own stubbornness and pride and bitterness kept them from looking. Look at Revelation 20 with me in verse 11 and we'll finish up the message. Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 11. Here we come to the end of time. Heaven and earth have burned up with a fervent heat. A new heaven and earth are about to descend. Or rather, heaven and earth are getting ready to burn up with a fervent heat. A new heaven and earth are about to descend. And God is judging all of those who refuse to look at the cross and believe in Jesus as their way to heaven. Look at verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from, whom, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead, these are those who refuse to look at the cross and believe. The dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead, which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found, written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. This is going to be a very, very, very sombering moment. From the day you're born to the day you die, you're given a window of time to look up to the cross and believe in Jesus. Faith in Christ alone is the only thing that can save you. It's not about what you do. It's not about who you are. It's not about how good or bad you've been. You can't be worthy enough to earn heaven. You can't uh, uh, be unworthy enough to not go to heaven. My friend, salvation is not about how good you are or how bad you've been. Salvation is just a realization that I am a sinner. My sin nailed Jesus to the cross. And if I will simply believe in Him, I can be saved. Jesus came to minister to the sheep of Israel. But He died for the sins of all mankind. It does not matter 
where you are from, what language you speak, how rich or poor your family is, or how well you are accepted by society around you. Jesus died on the cross to save your soul. It is Christ that unifies us. It is Christ that wants to save you. But you must look to the cross and believe in Jesus alone for your salvation. Now listen, and I'm done, for the nations to be healed. Jesus must heal the individuals that live there. He is the healer of broken hearts and immoral lives. As nations turn to God, they find peace. And through that peace, the nations are made whole. You are one person that lives in a large country. Has Jesus become your Savior? Have you put your faith in Him alone? Let's have every head bowed. Let's have every eye closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Nobody looking around. How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, there was a day and time in my life I put my faith in you and in Christ alone to be my Savior. I know I'm going to heaven. Not because of what I've done or who I am or what church I attend. I know I'm going to heaven because Jesus died for me and rose from the dead and I put my faith in Him. If that's your testimony, would you hold up your hand right where you are? I know I'm going to heaven. I know salvation is mine. I have put my faith in Christ. You can put your hands down. Thank you. There were many hands raised, but there were many, many hands that were not raised. If you did not raise your hand a moment ago, thank you so much for being both honest with yourself and with God. Can I invite you right now to believe in Jesus? Jesus uh, said uh, that uh, you have to come to Him and He'll give you rest. Paul tells us in the book of Romans that if you call upon the name of the Lord, that the Lord will save you, rescue you, You see, salvation is very simple. You must understand that you're a sinner and that your sin has condemned you to die and go to hell. God loves you but hates your sin. Jesus came and died in your place and became your sin on the cross. All you must do to to get the gift of eternal life that Jesus purchased by dying on the cross, all you must do is simply ask Him for that gift by faith. Ask Him for it. If you've never done that, I'd like to help you do that right now. Right where you sit, under your breath, under your breath. If you'd like to ask Jesus to be your Savior, if you would like to look at the cross and live for all of eternity, just simply pray this prayer after me. Under your breath, just say this. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that my sin is wrong. I know I deserve to go to hell for my sin. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross in my place. Thank you for becoming my sin and suffering my hell. My faith is in you alone. Save my soul. Take me to heaven when I die. In Jesus' name. With your heads bowed and eyes still closed, if you prayed that prayer for the first time just a moment ago and you meant it from your heart, I'd like to rejoice with you. If you prayed that prayer, would you just slip your hand up right where you are? Just hold it up. I see one hand. I see another. I see another hand. I see another hand. I prayed that prayer and I meant it. 